So lease options, basically you, you lease a property for a period of time with an option to buy it in the future. And it's a great way to control property without owning it. And I think it was Rockefeller, somebody said, control everything, own nothing. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. In Los Angeles, I'm Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. So today we are going to look at the world of lease options and how investors are making great money flipping lease options from anywhere in the world, buying and selling US real estate. It's a very exciting show, jam-packed full of ton of cracking information. So let's get started and into today's episode. Today, the expert in the hot seat to give us all the insider info on how to flip lease options whilst on holidays is Joe McCall. G'day, Joe. Welcome to the show. Good day, Reed. How are you? <laughs> good, mate. How are you? I'm doing really, really good. Fantastic. I, uh, I'm honored to be on your show. My pleasure. I'm, I'm honored to have you here. So listeners, I met Joe a few weeks back when I stumbled across his podcast on iTunes called The Real Estate Investing Mastermind. And I started listening to a few episodes where Joe was speaking about how he was successfully buying and selling lease options whilst on holidays in Europe. It was uh, pretty incredible stuff. So I, so I reached out to Joe and we started talking. And I learned that he's actively helping clients from all over the world buy and sell lease options here in the United States. And, and as this podcast is all geared for international investors, is breaking into the U.S. market. Who better to have on the show than Joe? But, but Joe, I want to ask you, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show, can you tell us something that most people might not know about you unrelated to being a successful uh, lease option flipper, so to speak? Well, hmm, good question. I, my background is in civil engineering. I went to a university in the middle of Iowa. I love learning. I love learning. I love studying things, reading books. And sometimes that can be to my detriment because I overanalyze everything. But uh, I do I do love to learn. I love to read. Fantastic. Um, you yeah. and I, you and I actually have a similar path. I'm a civil engineer. I studied civil engineering as well, and I got out of civil engineering about six seven months ago. So into full into oh, real wow. estate full time. So I have practiced civil and structural engineering here in, in LA and uh, in New York. So about nine years in the, wow. in the industry. Yeah, so if you didn't know that about me, everyone, I'm a recovering structural engineer, as they say. So, <laughs> but the show's not about me. Maybe that's why we're uh, friends already. We don't even know each other that well. Exactly. <laughs> Something clicked. Exactly. <laughs> we do start talking numbers. Enough about me. The show's more about you. Do you want to give us a little bit more of an understanding of your background, how you got started in real estate, and really just your journey to this point? And you know, you've got a ton of information online. You've got a great uh, online presence in terms of your educational stuff. How did this? How did Joe McCall come to be Joe McCall? By the way, my podcast is Real Estate Investing Mastery. Sorry, did I? Dot com. Mis- yeah, you said you said mastermind, but that's okay. Sorry it, about it that. It is like a mastermind. <laughs> and, and and for all those it's listeners okay. out there, we will have links to that in the show notes below. Well, you know, like a lot of people, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. You know, actually, it wasn't even that. It was a friend that I saw who was investing in real estate, making a lot of money, 
going to classes and he was talking to me about it and I got excited about real estate and he said, you've got to read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I read the book and it all kind of clicked and I got real excited about making money for myself, you know, being in the investor quadrant. And so I started looking at different things. I started reading a lot of books on real estate investing. This is when I was working my full-time job and I started, this was back in 06 when it was super easy to buy houses. So I bought a bunch of houses as rentals and I'd, wasn't buying them smart. Um, I was buying them with it based on accounting uh, on appreciation. Uh, I had a little bit of cash flow and I thought that would be fine. But, you know, my, my goal for freedom was to have 50, 70 properties with cash flow from those properties, not thinking about, well, what if the market goes south? What if prices don't always go up? And what if that 100 or $200 a month you have in cash flow? all of a sudden disappears and you get a bunch of vacancies all at once. So I made a lot of mistakes. I wasn't buying based on the fundamentals. Now, if I would have just bought properties based on more solid fundamentals, not counting on appreciation, considering property management, vacancies, repairs, maintenance in my cash flow numbers, I would have been fine because even if the values would have been cut in half, I still would have been cash flowing positive on these properties. And I would have had some money in reserves when I did have vacancies. So, yeah, I made a lot of really, really bad mistakes. <laughs> so I almost lost it all. And it wasn't until 2009 when I was really at a crossroads and I decided I have to figure this real estate thing out or else I'm just going to quit trying and I'm, I'm going to give up. Because I was trying to do my job, which was a 50, 60 hour a week job. I was trying to do real estate, which was 20, 30 hours a week. And then trying to be a dad and a, and a, and a husband. And I was, it was really, really difficult. I was trying to be a jack of all trades, but I was a master of none. And so I gave myself a deadline that I need to figure this thing out or I got to quit. And so I told myself, um, I got three months, I'm going to start doing deals or I'm going to quit and, and, and just focus on my job and be an employee for the rest of my life. So my back was really against the wall. And that's when I started um, what we call in the United States wholesaling. Yep. And I'm not sure. What do you call that in England? Uh, not England, sorry. Right. Australia. Wholesaling is as it, it's the same sort of word. It's not as prevalent as it is here. And just for your information, Joe, I actually probably know more about US investing than I do about Australian investing. So just because I've been here for oh, like okay. five years and in investing successfully. But anyway, back to you. But yeah, it's wholesaling is probably the term you other use in Australia. Well, good, because I just started a new podcast with a friend of mine who's from England, and uh, it's called Remote Property Flipping. And in England, they call it property sourcing and packaging or something like property that. Property sourcing. Pack, <laughs> pack, packaging and sourcing. So, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I started wholesaling properties in 2009. I bought a couple courses. Two more courses. I, mean, I was a course junkie, right? But I, I said to myself, all right, I'm going to buy one more course. And I'm going to do what they say to do. And I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to change anything. I'm just going to do what the guy says to do. But I couldn't buy one. I had to buy two. So I bought two. And uh, sure enough, man, I, I did what the guy said to do. I didn't change anything. I didn't like what he said, but I did it anyway. And I started doing deals. The stuff worked. The stuff worked. So that, that, was, uh, that was pretty exciting for me. 
That's awesome. And um, just for everyone out there who, who don't who doesn't understand wholesaling, it's the art of getting a property under contract and then you essentially sell that contract to another investor prior to closing. So there's really yep. no money in the deal on your behalf and you just sort of on sell the note or the, the, the contract essentially and you make a little bit of money on top. So good stuff, mate. Um, so as, as I've already explained, the show today's show is really about understanding you know, what you do and how you're doing it when, whilst you're on holidays because we spoke a little bit offline about how you're successfully doing uh, flipping lease options. So do you want to start at the yeah. beginning and Joe, just really explain in layman's terms for everyone out there, what is a lease option um, for all those listeners who just might be unfamiliar to that particular term? Yeah, for sure. So it was kind of a journey for me. I started reading some books on lease options from uh, eBay, actually. That was before Amazon was really big. <laughs> I was getting these books from on eBay. And uh, so lease options, basically, you, you lease a property for a period of time with an option to buy it in the future. And it's a great way to control property without owning it. And I think it was Rockefeller, somebody said, control everything, own nothing. And so it's a, it's a concept of controlling a, a very expensive piece of real estate on a lease with an option to buy it in the future. You don't have to buy it. So you have the option to buy it, but the seller has the obligation to sell it to you. So this, it's a one-way option. Basically, I have the option to buy it if I want. If I don't want to, I can back out of the contract, cancel my option. And the only thing I forfeit or I lose is the money I put down up front. And that's called option consideration. And the seller, they don't have the option to sell it to me. They have to sell it to me if I decide to buy it. But I, I have a certain time frame to do that in. Usually on deals that I'm going to stay in the middle, it's five years. If I'm going to be just assigning my option, I'll explain that in a minute. But usually that's one or two years. So there's a lot of benefits and advantages to sellers, to investors like me, and to tenant buyers who are going to live in the house themselves. So I started studying lease options, and I realized it's a great way to buy property, to control property, for with very little money down and very little risk. And there's a, there's a lot of sellers out there who want to sell their property but can't. Maybe they don't have enough equity. Maybe they just moved. They got a job transfer, and they don't want to be a landlord. They don't want to rent their house long distance. And so a lease option is a great way for them to sell their property. I started studying lease options, and I started uh, – by the way, if anybody's curious, there's some good books that you can get on Amazon. Wendy Patton is a friend of mine. She wrote a couple books. If you look up Wendy Patton in Amazon, you'll see her books. She wrote a good book called Lease Options and Subject 2, another one called Sandwich Lease Options that I think you can only get on the Kindle. And those are two books I'd recommend people start to get. So I started, I was a landlord at the time, and I, I had some rental properties, and I was getting really frustrated with typical landlord headaches. You know, tenants that would call every time the faucet leaked, uh, tenants who wouldn't pay their rent on time. And I read a chapter in a guy's book, and I'm not sure if it's even in print anymore, but it's called The Secrets of a Millionaire Landlord. And he had, a, he had a chapter in there about lease options. And it really piqued my interest because when you lease option a house to a tenant buyer, um, you're leasing that house to somebody who has more interest in the house than just a regular tenant because they want to buy the house someday. 
So typically they put down a larger down payment or option deposit and they have vested interest in the property because they want to live in the house. So they are responsible for all the day-to-day regular maintenance and repairs. And I don't get, when I started doing lease options, I started getting fewer maintenance calls. Tenants were taking better care of the property, fixing things themselves. And we're actually putting larger down payments or option deposits on down to the home. So I was getting much better qualified tenant buyers, tenants on my properties because they were buyers. So that's why we call them tenant buyers. They have the option to buy the house in the future. And with that responsibility, the option to buy it in the future, the, I can give them more responsibility on the home, I guess. I can, I can give them, they're, they're going to be responsible for the day-to-day maintenance and repairs. They're more likely to pay their rent because if they don't pay their rent on time, they, they lose the option to buy the house. They have a lot more at stake, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I was reading about lease options from this guy's book and I thought, this is fantastic. And I started, when I, the house that I bought, I would put a tenant buyer in it. I would sell it on a lease option. And that was going really, really well for me. But at the same time, I had a bunch of properties and that had equity in them until 2008. I started to realize I, you can't eat equities. So Equity doesn't pay the bills and I needed cash flow and and $100 a month on these rental properties that I was over leveraged on is not enough cash flow. And then when you get one vacancy of the 12 properties that you have, all of a sudden there goes your cash flow. So I started looking, thinking about wholesaling and wholesaling again is just where you get a property under contract at a really cheap price and you flip or sell that contract for $5,000 to another investor and you still leave enough meat on the bone for them. So that's, I started doing wholesaling. I was just flipping contracts. That was going really well, but I was spending a lot of money on marketing and I was throwing away a ton of leads because when you do wholesaling, you have to make sure there's enough meat on the bone. So it was really hard for me to find deals that had enough equity in them. And so I was doing a lot of marketing, but throwing away 80 to 90% of my leads because they didn't have enough equity or they weren't motivated enough. To, if they did have equity, they weren't willing to share any of it with me. And I didn't like the fact that I had to negotiate and beat these sellers down in price. And typically, when to get to get a property with that much equity in it, you're looking in the in the really rough areas of town um, where there's you just don't feel safe going there. And I just didn't like negotiating and tr- going to see these houses and all of that stuff. So I started thinking about what. What, what, what if I took all of these leads that I'm throwing away that didn't have any equity? And what if I wholesaled lease options? So that phrase came to me, wholesale lease options. Simply, when you do a regular wholesaling deal, you wholesale that contract, you flip that contract to another investor, maybe a landlord or a rehabber. But in a wholesaling lease option deal, I'm going to tie up a property that has very little equity in a lease option, and I'm going to wholesale that contract to a tenant buyer. So I'm going to flip my contract to a tenant buyer instead of to an investor. And there's other different strategies you can do with that. You can also, well, I don't want to get too technical in advance, but basically a lease option, you you can control a property without owning it. So I find a seller, let's just use numbers. Uh, Let's say the house is worth $150,000 and he owes $145,000. Okay. And so write these numbers down. The, the house is worth $150,000. The seller owes $145,000. So he doesn't have enough equity to sell it with a realtor because he'd have to pay 6% commission. And he'd probably 
have to pay some closing costs and stuff like that. But he just got a job transfer to from St. Louis down to Texas. And he is kind of doesn't want to be a long distance landlord. Um, he's current on his payments. The house isn't facing foreclosure. He doesn't want to be a landlord and he wants to sell it, but he doesn't have any options. So let's say his mortgage payment, after all taxes and insurance and everything, let's say his mortgage payment is $1,300 a month and the property will rent for $1,300 a month. So he, I, I, I contact him. Let's say he has his house listed for rent or um, he has it for sale by owner. He's trying to for, sell it for sale by owner and he doesn't uh, – He's not getting any bites. I contact him through my marketing and I, I ask him, I say, well, this is a great house. You know, why are you selling it? And he says, well, he's got a job transfer. Oh, it looks like a really nice house. Why haven't you sold it yet? Well, I can't drop my price low enough, whatever. You, you just talk to him and figure out what his, where his, what his needs are. He say, well, all right, well, what are you going to do if you can't sell this house? Are you going to rent it? Yeah, you know, I'm going to have to probably rent it out. And then I'll ask the question, well, would you rather rent it to a tenant who's going to call you every time the faucet leaks? Or would you rather rent it to somebody who wants to buy it who will fix the faucet on their own? He says, well, I'd rather rent it to somebody who wants to buy it. So I say, great. Maybe if this works, if I can structure the numbers right, maybe we could do a lease option on this thing. Would you be willing to lease it to me for a couple of years and then sell it to me? Uh, he says, yeah, sure, that'd be great. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tie it up on, not tie it up. I'm going to get it under contract for a lease option. All right. I'm going to agree to him to, to buy it from him for $145,000, which is what he owes within the next two years, sometime within the next two years. And I'm going to rent it from him for $1,300 a month. So it's going to cover his mortgage payment. Okay. So now I am the tenant buyer. I have it under contract with him to lease option it from him. Now, let me let me take another step back here. What if I gave him two offers? What if I told him, I'll rent it from you for $1,000 a month and I'll pay you $140,000 in two years or three years for the property. So after three years, you know, he's paying down his principal. So he's going to, if he owes 140 now, 45 now, maybe in three or four years, I'll look at an amortization schedule. Maybe he'll owe 135 in three years or something like that. So let's say I give him two offers. I say, listen, offer number one, I'll pay you $1,000 a month in rent. I'm not going to live in the house. This is going to be an investment property for me. Okay. And I'll buy it from you in three years for $135,000. Okay, that's offer. That's offer number one. Now you're wondering, well, he's going to be short a thousand dollars, three hundred dollars a month. Well, that's my option number one. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to turn around and sublease it. So I'm going to stay in the middle, and I'm going to pay the seller a thousand a month, but I'm going to collect three thirteen hundred dollars a month. So I'm going to make three hundred dollars a month in cash flow, and I'm not putting any. Maybe I'll give him a hundred dollars down to make the contract valid because you need some consideration. So I'll I'll give him a hundred dollars as option consideration for this property. But I call it the perfect tenant program because I'm going to be responsible for all the maintenance and repairs over, I mean, under $500. And I'm going to pay the rent whether it's vacant or not. So 
the advantage to the seller, even though he's short 300 bucks a month, is he doesn't have to worry about it because I'm going to be I'm, – I'm the perfect tenant. I'm going to be the tenant buyer. So I'm going to be responsible for all the maintenance and repairs under 500 bucks. And guess who I'm passing that responsibility on to? My tenant buyer that I'm putting into the property. And I'm going to buy it from him. I have the option to buy it from him within three years at, at $135,000. So I'm going to then turn around and sell it. I'm going to turn around and advertise that property as a lease option for in two, in, in three years. I'm going to set the price at maybe $160,000. Okay. And I'm going to be advertising it for $1,300 a month in rent. So if you just look at the numbers really quickly, there's a $25,000 equity spread. Okay. And there's a $300 a month cash flow. So over 36 months, my total gross profit is about $35,000. Okay. Now that's just for me staying in the middle and controlling the property. Um, now that may not work for the seller. He may say, you know what? I can't cover that extra $300 a month, but you'd be surprised. A lot of sellers can, because you look at it, what are their options? Do they want to really be, do they really want to manage the property themselves? And, you know, if it's just vacant one or two months, that's 26. If it's vacant two months while they're trying to find their own tenant, while they're living halfway across the country, they're going to lose $2,600 right there in, in the mortgage payment that they're going to have to pay. So they, uh, I'm just telling them, listen, I'll, you have to cover, I'm going to manage this property and take care of it for you. So that's, that's the price that you need to pay the $300 a month. So the seller says, yeah, that's great. I'll do it. So that becomes a sandwich lease option where I'm going to stay in the middle and I'm going to get the monthly cash flow and I'm going to get the, the equity spread. So there's, there's uh, $15,000 of built-in equity right up, the, uh, right up front. And I'm going to sell the property in three years for a higher price than what it's worth today. So that's a $25,000 equity spread. And at $300 a month, that's $10,000 over three years. That's $35,000 in profit if I sell that house within three years to my tenant buyer. And I, I only put $100 down on the property. So I'm, I'm controlling that property with only $100. What's my ROI on that? Now, let's say the seller says, you know what? What's your offer B? What's your, what's your second offer? And so the, my second offer is just really whatever the seller wants. So the seller owes 145 and his mortgage payment is 1300. So I'm going to offer him $145,000 and 1300 a month in rent. And let's say he takes that offer. All I'm going to do then is turn around and sell that contract to a tenant buyer. I'm going to sell or assign that contract to a tenant buyer. And you think about it, that's a really valuable contract to somebody who wants to live in that house. Okay. Now I'm going to bump the price up a little bit. I won't, let me just kind of explain the numbers, I guess, for, for people that want to write this down for, for offer number two, the seller wants 145,000 and he wants 1300 a month in rent. I'm going to tell the seller, all right, I'll get you $145,000. So I'm going to sell that contract for, let's just say $5,000. And I'm going to offer some rent credits, uh, which I don't want to. So, okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to, I'm going to bump the price up. I'm going to advertise that contract. I'm going to sell that contract for $5,000 and I'm going to set the, the price at $150,000. So there's the A to B and the B to C. My A to B with the seller is 145. 
my B to C to the tenant buyer is going to be 150. It's thousand. So I'm going to be advertising that contract for $5,000. And basically what I do then is I am going to assign my contract with the seller to the new tenant buyer. And I'm going to make $5,000 as my assignment fee. And then I'm out of the deal. I'm completely done with it. And I walk away. Now it's a contract between the seller and the tenant buyer that I put in the house. So, so anyway, it's either my first offer to the seller is going to be, hey, listen, I'll be the tenant. And but I need some equity and I need some cash flow. All right. The second offer is I'm going to just assign my contract to another tenant buyer. So I'll only be in the middle for a few weeks. And um, I'll get you a higher price and a higher cash flow, a higher rent, but you're gonna have to be involved. I'm not gonna be in the middle anymore. I'm gonna be out of the deal. And so a lot of sellers will tell me, well, I like the perfect tenant program. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Uh, you'll take care of the maintenance and repairs, and and you'll pay the rent whether it's vacant or not. Um, but they maybe can't afford that that the cash flow that I need. So that's why I give them options. I give them A or B. It totally doesn't make any difference to me. And so the the easiest deals to do are the ones where I'm just I call them my wholesaling lease option deals. I'm just in the middle for a few weeks. I sell or assign my contract. And I'm done and I walk away and I make three to five grand pretty easily. And when I started doing that in 2009, within about three months, I, I was making more money doing that part-time than I was in my full-time job. And I was making about 80 grand a year at my full-time job. So I was making you know three to five grand doing three or four of those a month while I was working my full-time job, just flipping the lease option contracts. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes complete sense. You covered some incredible stuff, and, and I, I thank you for for uh, taking it down into layman's terms and then reiterating exactly what you how you explain it. So you offer the, the two options to the seller, and as you're saying, the second option is that someone else is coming in, so they tend to be like, oh, I don't know who this second person is, and they go back to your first option. Is that what I'm understanding correctly? Yeah, so... Uh, you know, which option do they take? It's probably 50 50, mm -hmm. one or the other. Sometimes, you know, there's just, you have to tell the seller, listen, this deal won't work. How much will you pay me to buy your house? <laughs> right? <laughs> but so you tell them, you got to help them face the, re the, the hard reality. Sometimes the lease option isn't the best thing for them, but it's the least worst alternative. You, you help them figure out, well, what are your options? What are you going to do if you can't sell this house? Listen, every seller wants full price for their house and they want to sell it today. Every seller does. But maybe they don't have equity, enough equity. Now, sometimes if there is equity, I'll give them three options. I'll give them an offer to buy their house with cash, but that's going to be at like 70% of fair market value minus repairs. Or option B would be the sandwich lease option where I'm going to stay in the middle and um, but I want at least fifteen percent equity. Sometimes I tell them, "Listen, um, I'll give you the same equity you'd get if you sold it with a realtor." Is that is that reasonable? Is that fair? Yeah, that's great. But they have to be willing to lease it to me for three to five years and wait for that equity. Or option number three would be, I'm just going. To, I'll give you whatever price you want, and it's just gonna. I'm just gonna tie it up on a lease option, and I'm gonna sell that lease option contract to an end, an end tenant buyer, and then I'll be done with the deal. So I've done most of my deals have been that, where I just sell my lease option contract to a tenant buyer 
and I walk away. It's a really interesting concept. I, I know in Australia that's it was I, I learned a little bit about it when I first before I moved to the United States. You know, how do you develop that trust with with the seller to make sure that you know there's oh well, is this guy trying to pull the wool, wool over my eyes? Particularly when you're dealing with someone who may not be as sophisticated as yourself um, when selling that particular property. Yeah, that's a great question because there's there's a few things that you got to be aware of. I'm I'm just making an offer to buy their house. It's not going to work for everybody. And I'm just making an offer. I I put myself in a position where I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm not trying to sell a lease purchase program. Uh, I'm not trying to sell the benefits of lease options. Uh, I'm just making an offer. It either works or it doesn't. Now, when I make an offer, I try to give them references. If they ask for references, I give them references to realtors that I work with, property managers, attorneys, mortgage brokers that I work with, previous sellers and tenants if they want. So I give them references if they want. I, I'm part of the Better Business Bureau, so people can look me up on the BBB. And so it, it's it's something that a lot of beginning investors that are doing this, they make the mistake of trying to sell trying to chase the seller. And I say, listen, the harder you chase them, the faster they'll run. You just need to make the offer. And if they take it, that's great. So a lot of times when you start selling this thing, it sounds almost too good to be true. And the sellers are really kind of turned off by that. It's like, well, what's the catch? It sounds too good to be true. You're telling me that you'll, you know, this tenant buyer will do this and that. And so you really just are making the offer and your credibility, you know, if you've not done any deals before, they want references. That's fine. Just give them a reference to a, a, some realtors that you work with, maybe an attorney that you work with, a title company, mortgage brokers, anybody in the you know the, the title company. I think I maybe already said that. Uh, you can give them references to other people in the industry who know you, if if you want. So it's just a matter of if the seller's motivated enough, and you can really only do this with with motivated sellers who have a real need to sell quickly, then. A lot of my deals, most of my deals, they have never asked for references. They're so motivated and they're just like, you know what? I'm done with this property. I'm sick of it. Uh, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Just take it. And, and, and so they sign my contract and we, we proceed from there. Does that make sense? That makes, makes perfect sense. And I take with all this sort of stuff, you know, it takes, a, a ton, as you were saying before, a ton of lead generation, um, you know, and a lead generation machine to be able to maximize your sort of, I like to think of it as two different wheels you're trying to spin. You're trying to spin the wheel of finding the deals, and then you're trying to spin the wheel of finding that next tenant to take over the, the, the lease option for you. So do you want to talk a little bit about how you set up your lead generation to make sure you're getting those quality leads coming through the door? Because I, I assume yeah. that this is the entire crux of the program, you, you, unless you have quality, as you said, uh, motivated sellers, then you know the lease option is not maybe something that you could even entertain. Well, that's the, super important. I'm glad you brought that up because I say this all the time. We are not in the property business or the real estate business. We're not in the lease option business. We're in the what business? The marketing business. We are in the sales and marketing business. And once you figure that out, then the whole new world opens up for you, right? Because Without marketing, without leads, this you're, you're totally spinning your wheels and you're wasting your time and you're going to get nowhere. So marketing is the most important thing in the business. And that's why when I was working my full-time job trying to do these deals, what would happen to me typically is I would, I would do a bunch of marketing uh, you know, at 5 a.m. in the morning before I had to go to work. You know? <laughs> I would 
I would send out my postcards or my letters or whatever. So I would send out my marketing and I would try to time block in my calendar when I was going to do my marketing. And I just could never get it done. And I realized if I don't get someone else to do this for me, it's just not going to get done. So I hired a virtual assistant and I wrote down all the marketing that I wanted to do. And it was real simple um, types of marketing that a VA could do for me, a virtual assistant. So then I said, all right, I got to get somebody else to do this for me because I would do a lot of marketing and I would get a lot of leads and I'd shut off my marketing because I was overwhelmed with leads. And then I'd tie up some, pro- I'd get some properties under contract and I'd start selling my contracts or s- advertising my houses. And then I'd make some money and I'd get all happy, but look back behind me and I, my lead pipe was completely empty and I had no more new leads coming in. Well, it's not just like a light switch you can turn on. It takes time to build that momentum. So I would turn on the marketing again and get a bunch of new leads coming in. And then like I'd start stressing out because I'd run out of cash. And there was this constant cycle up and down like a roller coaster. And I, I realized if I don't, my lead flow has to be consistent. It has to be coming in steadily all the time, which means I need to get somebody else to do it for me. So I hired a VA. Then the next thing that happened was I started getting too many calls because the marketing was coming in consistently. And I, well, I, I got to get someone to help me with these calls. So I found a friend who could take the calls and we just partnered on the deals. And I said, listen, uh, 50, 50, um, I gave him some of my courses on how to talk to sellers and questions to ask and how to make the offers. I said, you take my leads and I'll take care of the rest. And you just tie them up, get them up under contract. So, uh, and we split 50, 50. So he did that. And then we started getting a bunch of properties under contract And then I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to sell these things. How am I going to do that? I'm still working 50, 60 hours a week. And so then I hired a realtor and I hired a realtor to sell my properties for me. And that's when it dawned on me. And that's when I started doing a bunch of these deals without much of my involvement. And I was making more money flipping these part-time than I was in my full-time job. And I said, this is it. That's when I quit my job in 2009, the spring of 2009. And I realized the importance of systems, having systems in place. And so now I got someone else doing the marketing. I have someone else handling the calls and someone else selling my properties for me. And I don't have an office. I don't have huge overhead. I'm selling, I'm doing these deals without ever talking to the sellers, without seeing the houses, without ever doing any of the marketing and talking to the buyers. And I thought to myself, I think so. And so I started saying to myself, well, if I'm doing these deals in my own backyard, without doing all that stuff. Why can't I do these deals while traveling around the world, while while going in an RV around a bunch of national parks in the U.S. or whatnot? So I started developing uh, systems where I can do these deals. It almost sounds too good to be true, but it's not because I'm actually doing it. So started developing systems. I have somebody else do that stuff for me. And it was about three years ago, four years ago. Yeah, it was four years ago. My wife and I took our first trip to Europe. We went to, we, we've been to Prague a couple times before. We went there right after we got married and love Prague. And we have friends that are there, um, some friends who are um, in the ministry, a pastor church there, and we would go visit them. And so we, we love Prague. And uh, we, would, we went there about four years ago for two and a half months. And I have four kids. We all went there and just rented a furnished flat. And I was doing my business flipping deals from there which was pretty cool. It was amazing. And then a couple years later, it was a year and a half ago, we went on a three-month RV trip. We, we, got a, we bought a camper and we, a big camper with 
with the four bunk beds. Yes, four bunk beds, a place for the dog, and a queen-size bed for me and the wife. But it is a real nice camper, full kitchen, microwave, air conditioning, satellite dish. It's pretty, pretty nice. So, but we went, uh, we quote unquote roughed it, <laughs> glamping. Yes, we went to like ten different national parks all over the northwestern quarter of the United States, was which was amazing. I'm sure your listeners in Australia have beautiful national parks, but I think in the United States we have the most beautiful, incredible national parks in the entire world. It's so incredible. And if anybody gets to come to the United States, you got to go see uh, Glacier National Park, Yellowstone National Park, Yosemite, Colorado, Rocky Mountain National Park. So we went to, it was just breathtaking, beautiful three months, just like, oh, wow. And we were still doing deals in three or four different markets in the United States while we were traveling. In fact, one month, I don't like to share my numbers that much, but I'm trying not to brag, but I'll tell you, one month we made over $36,000 in wholesaling fees on these deals that I never did the marketing, never talked to the sellers, never talked to the buyers. And that was my half of the of the fees. I was splitting the deals with other wholesalers, my boots on the ground people, so their half was 36 and my half was 36. So I realized early on that this is a marketing business. And if I can set up the systems to do the marketing, then it, it can run without me. And then just last summer, we went for three months back again to Prague. And we went to about nine or 10 different countries, did a lot more traveling. We took some cruises and just, just had a blast still doing deals. And I also, do, I also do coaching with my podcast and stuff like that. So we make some income from from that as well but this is this is all so incredible joe i don't even know where to start and i i guess you really hit the nail on the head where you've it's not a real estate business anymore you've gone into a marketing business and you know i'm all about developing passive income but the way you've developed the passive income is through your systems that you've created and you've taught you know your team to go out and do the job for you, you know, where I talk a lot about about properties creating passive income here in the United States and putting money in my pocket. In your case, you're still using real estate, but you're using, you're leveraging other people's ability to talk to people, to be boots on the ground, to find the leads, to sell the property. And that's what you're leveraging. And that's what's putting cash in your pocket and, to, to, and giving you passive income. Is that kind of what yes. I've got that correct? Well, and that's really, really important because once you stop wholesaling, you stop making money, right? And so you need to take the profits that you're making from wholesaling and buy assets that produce cash flow. So that's super important. And we're starting to do that now. I'm starting to buy land and selling the land on owner financing on terms. And that's a whole other topic. But so if you're, once you're making money, you need to start setting aside some of that, that those profits and buying cash flow real estate. Now, I'm of the opinion that it's better to own 10 properties free and clear than 50 properties leveraged. Now, I know you could, you could look at the numbers and argue that based on an ROI, your return on investment is going to be much higher when you use leverage. So I get that, and I can't argue against that. That's 100% true. I would prefer, though, the peace of mind knowing that I have 10 free and clear rental properties, where if they were all 10 vacant at once for an entire year, the only thing I'd have to worry about would would be taxes and maybe some maintenance. So what what sunk me back in 09, 08 and 09 was I was way over leveraged. I had borrowed too much private money and it was, you know, it was a disaster. So right now for me personally I'd rather own a few free and clear rentals that uh, or land 
and uh, sell that sell that or lease it out for cash flow because that's that's thinking longer term. That's thinking for the, one of my friends, Jack Bosch, uses the term temporary cash and forever cash, and I like that. You know, so it's important to think about long term. How can I buy can control these assets that can generate cash flow for the long term so if i wanted to never work again i'd still be making money yeah that's it's and that's the whole point right to never work again and to take your kids on awesome trips across you know the united states and across europe and that's why i got you on this show to to explain just another side of real estate and and developing passive income because you know you can as i said on other other shows, real estate is one vehicle that you choose to develop um, passive income from. You can develop passive income from a lot of different things: businesses, the stock market, um, as you're doing, uh, Joe, with your marketing business, which is just hugely, hugely powerful. So, well done. Um, Thank a, you. A big pat on the back. I have to. I have to say, uh, one thing we just briefly skimmed over, and I want to dive back into some nuts and bolts, just so everyone can get a better understanding. And I'm sure they will reach out to you to get a better understanding is what's the type of legal paperwork or you know that you got to go through when you when you're executing on a on a lease option and you're then flipping it to someone else or or holding it yourself yeah that's important um there are some states where it's more really only one state where it's a little more difficult to do lease options although you can still do them texas uh in texas it's it's a misconceived uh notion i guess that it's illegal to do lease options in Texas. You can. You can't do the sandwich lease options in Texas. You can flip lease options in Texas. And I have a friend who's been doing it for 10, 12, maybe 13 years, um, does a ton of them in Texas. The contracts, I have an attorney out of Ohio that does all of my contracts in all 50 states. And, you know, if, if my students who I, that I work with, um, we use him as well. And it's really simple. Any anywhere where you can lease a property with a con and then have a contract to buy it within a couple of years, you can do a lease option. It's it's really simple. So sometimes uh, I feel comfortable enough with my own contracts in all fifty states. But if I was in a state that I wasn't comfortable using my contract, I would just use the standard realtors contracts. Even though maybe if you're not licensed in that state, you're quote unquote technically not supposed to use their contracts. Yep. But if you're not licensed, what can they do to you? <laughs> so grab a copy of the realtor's lease, the standard lease that the realtors use in that market, and a purchase and sale agreement that they use in that market. And just use that. So if you want to do a lease option for two years, you do a lease for two years, and then you do a sale contract with the closing date two years in the future. And then you could write, you know, there's this usually space in the special agreements where you can write a special uh, section where you can write in some things, maybe to clarify some specifics on the lease options. But that way, you know, you, you know you're using contracts that are, have been reviewed and approved by attorneys in that local market. So you can use just the standard realtors contracts that everybody uses in that in in that market, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I guess when you're doing that, in that you can still use those type of contracts if your name is on it, Joe McCall. That you know you're going to uh, agree to to buy Joe Blow's you know house on ABC Smith Street in two years' time for X amount of money. Do you then is it Joe McCall or a sign? Is that what you do to make sure you can then yeah. si assign the contract to someone else? Yeah, so you can do that and or signs if you want. But um, most contracts, you got to look at it. Most contracts will 
unless they pro specifically prohibit you from assigning them, you can assign a contract. So most contracts that I've seen that are standard realtors contracts will have on there that this contract is assignable with the written permission of the seller or something like that. So you can then use that or, or you could use Joe McCall and or assigns if you want to just make it extra clear that this will, you can, you can assign this contract. Um, sometimes what I'll even do, if it's not exactly clear, I will write into the special agreement section of the contract. I will write on there that this contract is assignable. Right, 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 right. And then in terms of that third party, if they're receiving a contract that is, you know, $140,000 or $145,000 using your old uh, numbers that we were doing and you're selling it to them for 150 is that just a separate agreement that you're saying well here, for this contract because it's juicy and awesome you could just got to give me five grand is that what is that how it works yeah so let me get a little more detail about that though because there is an extra step so i have it under when i first get a property under contract i usually just use a one-page contract with the seller at the lower price when i find somebody that I want to assign or sell my contract to, um, I will create a new contract with the seller for the higher price between me and the seller. And then I'll sell that contract to the tenant buyer for my assignment fee. So my attorney does that for me. It's, it's, it's a little confusing maybe, but he just takes care of it. And I understand it now. You know, somebody wants to use him you could pay him to do all of the paperwork, but it's going to take longer and it's going to cost you more. Um, I do the paperwork myself, send it to him, and then he kind of finalizes it. But he's, yeah, he also is a, has an escrow company, which makes it easier because a lot of people may wonder, well, how do, if I'm going to assign this contract to a tenant buyer, how do we know that the seller is going to be paying the mortgage every month, right? Because the last thing you want to have happen is the tenant buyer has been paying the rent. And then the bank knocks on the door and says, hey, you got to leave. We're foreclosing on the house. And the tenant's like, what? Then, you know, you're going to get in trouble because you, you know, you, you started the whole thing or whatever. So I use a third-party escrow company, this attorney, who will – he collects the rent from the tenant buyer and pays the mortgage every month himself. And then the any difference, any leftover cash after his fee – um, gets sent to the seller. Right. Okay. Right, right, right. Interesting. Now, what, let me share one other thing that's really, really cool with lease options is you can create notes with yes. lease options. I love creating notes. And so let's say you're trying to sell this contract for $5,000, but the tenant buyer has good income. And by the way, I only do lease options with tenant buyers who have a realistic chance of buying the house in one or two years. All right. I, I'm, I work with a mortgage broker to make sure that they have a realistic chance of getting a mortgage. I'm not putting somebody in there who owes $100,000 to the IRS, et cetera. So I, I have a mortgage broker that helps me with that. But anyway, let's say they have good income, good rental history, no evictions, and uh, they only have $3,000 right now. So that's fine. I'll take the $3,000 and then create a note for the difference of $2,000 over the next 12 to 24 months, okay? And so you start doing enough of those and you start getting some good cash flow from these notes that you're creating on lease option deals. Now, what if, another thing, there's so many different ways you could make money with lease options. What if you found a seller 
who says, you know, I just want to do it myself. Will you show me how to do it? You could then sell your services as a consultant to the seller to train them and show them how to do a lease option. And you could also, you could tell them, listen, my fee is $2,000. Let's say they don't have that right now. Well, you could create a note for the seller. They pay $1,000 now and $100 a month for 10 months uh, for your consulting services on training them how to do a lease option. Right the, on their on their own. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect. <laughs> it's just so it's it's another interesting, very interesting topic and 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 asset or sorry facet of this whole lease option business. And I know that I wanted to just be clear with all the listeners that Joe provides online educational programs and mentorship for this particular way of investing. So we, we're going to have all of it in the show notes. And and this sort of brings me on to my next and sort of final set of questions. And that that is, you said you started a podcast um, for, for with another successful investor who was from the UK, who was traveling the world. Now that is, that is geared purely towards international investors wanting to do this lease options business here in the United States, correct? Well, no, the, the speci- it's called remote property flipping. It's mainly geared for people in the UK uh, who want to do deals in the United Kingdom. But it, it also kind of, anybody could take it, and it's really mainly about flipping properties, either in the in the UK or in the United States, while traveling around the world. One of the things that my, my co-host does, his name is Tom Wade, uh, he does a lot of lease options, more than I do. He does them in England. And and for you know he he thinks that they're easier to do in England than they are in the United States, and he has done deals in the U.S. Uh, but what's interesting is he uses a strategy called double dipping. <laughs> okay, and let me explain this because this is really really cool. So he'll find he'll make an offer to the seller where there's two or three hundred dollars a month in cash flow, and so he's going to stay in the middle. He sets it up like a sandwich lease option. He makes an offer to the seller at a like my my first offer that I talked about before, and so he'll stay in the middle. He'll put a tenant buyer in the house and he'll collect three to five thousand dollars for an option consideration deposit from that tenant buyer. Okay. Now he's got a property with three hundred dollars a month cash flow that he's staying in the middle of, and there's equity in there, maybe twenty-five grand in equity. He then turns around and sells that contract with the tenant buyer in place to another investor who will take over his position. So he'll sell that contract for $5,000 to another investor. So if you look at the numbers, if it cash flows uh, $300 a month, that's $3,600 a month. Let's just take out half of that for uh, miscellaneous expenses, okay? Uh, so that leaves you $1,800 a year in net cash flow on this lease option deal. And you sell that contract for $5,000. Well, what's your ROI on that? 36%. Well, 36% to the, not my ROI, but the investor who's buying still, he's making 36% on his money. Um, he's Now he's controlling an incredible piece of property with lots of equity and cash flow for only $5,000. So I made $5,000 up front, uh, finding the, replacing the tenant buyer. And then I'm selling that contract for another $5,000 to an investor. So I made $10,000 on this property that... Um, I'm, I'm that all the other investors would pass on because there wasn't enough equity in it. Right, 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 right. Sense? No, that makes perfect sense. And it's kind of, but we, just to be, reiterate to the listeners out there that the the if it's cash flow already, that the person in the property who is 
executing the the lease option because they want to live in them and they want to eventually buy on it. Um, they're they're taking care of all the expenses, the major expenses anyway. So that's why you can have a little bit of cash flow coming in. And and as you sort of said before, Joe, that you know back in the day you're only receiving 150 bucks of cash flow a month. And if something went wrong, all of a sudden that 150 dollars is gone. This in this case or this scenario that you just sort of stated, that's not the case, correct? Yeah. So what if the deal goes bad? <laughs> right. It's 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 okay. It's just a lease option. So you can. You could, I'm not saying you should, but if you, if it comes to it, you could back out of the contract and you could tell the tenant, you could tell the seller, listen, I'm sorry. Um, I'm not going to exercise my option. I'm going to have to cancel this contract and, and you're going to have to you walk away. Now it's just an option. So you don't have, you can walk away whenever you, whenever you want. Now there, you know, the seller may get mad and so what I've done in the past when a deal did go bad and I had to walk away from it, this was back in 09, where I was, I was hemorrhaging money and it was literally affecting my own uh, family and my own situation, my own family situation because you know I won't go into all the details. But what I did is I put a good tenant in the property that was paying the rent and I told the seller, listen, I, I am backing out so I'm sorry, I, have to, I can't do this anymore, but I already have a tenant in here and I just then canceled my agreement and made the new made a new agreement between the tenant that was there and the and the original owner of the property. Then I just walked away, and you know the sellers they didn't care. Actually, it turned out that they were making more money every month then instead. And uh, yes, yes, exactly. So you get you want to set it up where everybody wins, and that's really really important. People that have taught this strategy in the past um, will th- there's some unethical things that you could do when it comes to lease options. And so you want to make sure you're setting it up for everybody win, win, wins. The, the seller wins, the homeowner, the tenant buyer wins who's living in the property. You win as the investor. You know, if you sell the contract to another investor, that investor has to win. And you can, it, it's a great, great strategy. I love it. And it's easy to do. I can say it's easy because I've done a lot of them while <laughs> while I'm traveling around the world. Yeah, no, I I I love it, and I I learned a little bit about it in Australia. And it sounds what your what uh, Tom Wade is doing in the United Kingdom sounds very similar to what you could do in Australia. However, I do know in Australia, I think there's been some tighter restrictions on the lease options. But no, don't matter. You can come to the US and do it just fine. You know, with with Joe's <laughs> program. So, Joe, with all your experience, you know, flipping lease options whilst on holidays. I know you're primed to give me your top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yes. So, mate, what's the most successful habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Get up early. Get up. You're an early early riser? I try to. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> most of the time I am, yes. Fantastic. Uh, what's the most influential tool in your real estate business and why? And I'm, I'm sure you have a few influential tools in your you know, the marketing machine that, that is the oh, lead yeah. generation. Uh, Podio. Podio. Have you ever heard of, ever no, heard of Podio? Oh, it's amazing. What is it? It's a, it's a kind of do-it-yourself CRM, project management collaboration tool. No, I, I still use a lot of tools. I, I, I love Slack. Um, I love Evernote. But Podio, it's amazing. So it's just like you can um, – it's important to have a database of all your sellers and all your buyers. And there's a lot of good tools out there um, that can kind of come pre-built, already kind of 
done for you in a box. Here's the CRM that manages your real estate business. The problem is it's a box. They, you have to fit into that box. And it's really hard to customize it and make it unique for you. So but Podio is basically a drag and drop CRM. So you, 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 you can create it to track whatever you want to track in your business. And there's a lot of internal things in there that are really powerful that can create automated workflows. You can have your team in there. You can assign tasks to your team. Um, so I've set up Podio where you know I can track my property management business. I can track my rehab business. I can track my lease options. I can track my wholesalings, my notes, my administrative things, standard operating procedures, meeting minutes, invoicing, uh, re receivables. And so Podio is you, whatever you want to track, you can create an app for that inside of Podio that will track that stuff. And it's all online. It's not like it's a program you have to download. It's all online. It has a really, really good um, smartphone application for your iPad or iPhone or Android interface. And it's it's really amazing. It's powerful. And uh, it's super simple. So Podio, Podio is amazing. And I've built my own kind of custom-built Podio apps for different aspects of my business. Great. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> You're a you are a jack of all trades. It must be that engineering background, hey? That engineering mind. Well, yeah, but you yeah, but you don't need to know code right. for it. It's just it really is literally. You go to podio.com, P O D I O, and it's 9 bucks a month per user. It used to be free. They bumped the price up $9 per month per user. And you can if you want to like I'm looking at my bookshelf right now, and if you wanted to put, you put all your books into a database, you could create a spreadsheet for that or you could create Podio, and uh, what I would do is this is what I would do. You know, I would take a picture of all these books and I would send it to my VA, and I would have my VA put them in Podio for me. <laughs> but anyway, so Podio is uh, it's an amazing, uh, amazing tool for pro property project management. I'll be checking that out after the show, and I'll and I'll have that link uh, in the show notes as I said. Uh, what's the most exciting project you're working on right now? I would say my podcast for remote property flipping. Um, we're, we're doing a workshop in Spain. I, had, I have an excuse to travel again. <laughs> so we're doing, a, we're doing a workshop in Spain in May, and uh, that's going to be a ton of fun. I, I really love the whole concept and idea of doing deals in the U.S. From, uh, while traveling. I, I've coached students and clients from Lebanon that were doing deals in, the, in Oklahoma City. Clients from Malaysia that were doing deals in Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, people in Canada, Toronto, Canada, that were doing deals in Atlanta. Uh, I have clients that were doing deals from, uh, of course, the United Kingdom. When I, with my podcast, my main podcast, Real Estate Investing Mastery, uh, we have listeners in over 170 different countries. It just blows me away. So I, I'm really passionate and excited. What I call my creating, helping people create a lifestyle business, a location independent business where there are no boundaries or borders anymore with the internet today um, for the most part, right? But you could, you could literally from anywhere in the world do deals in the United States. And it's a great place to, if you want to buy cash flow real estate, which you talk about a lot, uh, there's great markets in the United States where you can get properties like right now in St. Louis, you could buy a property for thirty, forty thousand dollars, and it'll rent for eight to nine hundred dollars a month. 
a good solid home. That's a great, you're looking at net ROI, cash on cash return, if you were to buy it with cash, of, of 15% ROI on your money. If you buy it with cash, it's going to be higher if you use leverage. Uh, so it's a, you can get amazing deals here that I don't know if you can get anywhere else in the world. No, and that's the whole reason. The entry uh, points here in the United States are definitely lower than compared to home, at least uh, back in Australia. But um, it, it's incredible. That was uh, sorry, a question I forgot to ask you before: is that how many international investors are you working with? And it sounds like a whole slew of them. So from Lebanon to Malaysia uh, to the UK to Canada, that's that's incredible. So all those international listeners out there, you know, get in touch with Joe if you are interested in learning more about lease options. Uh, Joe, who's the most influential person in your career to date? For my business, probably for anything. Uh, well, of course, Jesus. I, I, I'm, I, I'm a man of faith, and it's, Christ is very important to me and my family. Um, so I always have to give a plug for him. <laughs> Obviously, right? I yep. wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. Right. But so for business, I think my coach. I'm really imp- uh, coaching is very, very important to me, um, and I have a coach. His name is Steve Cook uh, from Wisconsin. And he has a, a coaching program called Life and Air. And a lot of what I've talked about today is the direct result from his influence um, because he started talking to me way, way back with his uh, stuff about creating a vision for your life. Most of us have a, a business first or a job, and then life kind of centers around that. <clears throat> but what if we flip that and turn it around and said, let's design a vision for our life and then create a business or a job that fits around the lifestyle that we want to have. And it's putting life first. What's most important to us? Our family and charity, giving back to the community, right? Time with your family. And so for me, I looked at it and said, I don't want to wait till I'm 65 years old before I can quote unquote retire and travel and spend time with my kids uh, or grandkids by then. I want to do that now. So how could I design a business that allows me to work from home, work from Starbucks. We homeschool our four kids. We just take that one year at a time that one of them might be going to a private school next year. But um, So how could I design a business where we could literally go do whatever I want, we want, go travel. If I wanted to work from Starbucks one day, I joke that I have three offices. Uh, my, my home office, I have an office where my assistant works out of, not too far from where I am, and Starbucks. So if I want to work at Starbucks, I can go work from Starbucks. Um, if I want to take my daughter to dance, she's five years old, uh, on a Tuesday at 10 a.m., I can take her to dance. I can uh, take my kids to piano lessons at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I can take my kids to basketball on, on, uh, on the weekends or whatever. So I, I designed a vision for my life and then created a business around that. So Steve Cook uh, was, was, was my coach that kind of helped me with that. And so I'm, I'm big on coaching. I think everybody needs a coach. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm huge on coaching as well and, um, or mentorship, whatever you want to insert word here. <laughs> Someone yeah. who you can go to, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the real estate business or whatever business you might be in. It's just entrepreneurship, dot, you know, full stop, is needing someone to help guide you along the way. Because at the end of the day, no one can do this on their own, whether you're starting a business, getting into real estate or whatever, creating, a, as you said, a life for yourself that you can spend more time with your kids and your family and, and, and let your work revolve around your life, not the other way around. So I love yeah. that. I love that stuff. Uh, last question is, the best US deal you've done to date? Well, I'll tell you 
one of my best ones was just this is February as we're recording this. So it was the New Year's Eve, <laughs> December thirty first. This was a regular traditional wholesaling deal. What I mean by that is we got it under contract. It had a lot of equity in it, and we flipped that contract to another investor who was going to go fix it up and put. He was going to hold it long term for uh, as a rental. So my half of the profit was sixteen thousand dollars. So this was a deal that we, I'm doing the marketing, my team does the marketing, we pre-screen the leads, we take those pre-screened leads, we put them into Podio, and then my wholesaler, my local boots on the ground guy, takes those leads and gets it under contract and flips it to his buyers, and we split the profits 50-50. So um, that deal in particular was an old lead that we first sent the marketing out for about six months earlier. The seller called. Uh, we made an offer on the phone. He wasn't interested. And then my VA in the Philippines, Mark, kept on calling that seller back every month. I'm big on follow-up. You've got to make offers on every seller lead that comes in, and you need to follow up every month with all your old leads. So you know he calls that seller up or texts him every month, and after four months of doing that, the seller said, you know what? I'm interested now. I, I have six properties that I want to sell, or maybe it was four. And uh, I just want to get rid of him. He reached his breaking point. You know, no means not yet a lot of times with sellers. You know, they, they may not want to sell now. They may not be that motivated yet, but they will want to sell that house eventually. And that's what 99% of your competition is not doing. They're not following up with, with sellers. And so we kept on following up. He said, yeah, I want to get rid of it. I'm tired of it. We made an offer. We sold it immediately after that and made a $32,000 net profit. And so my half was 16000 On New Year's Eve, I got a check from my wholesaling partner for $16,000. And uh, I actually did another deal on the same day with another wholesaling partner for 3000 So over on one day, I made $19,000 on New Year's Eve. And I never, I never talked to the sellers. I don't even know where these houses are. I don't know anything about the buyers. It just happens like that because if you set up the systems in place, it's it's wonderful. Awesome, awesome. And Joe, last question is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Yeah, so I'm going to give you two websites. The first one is my, well, how about I give you three? <laughs> give, them, give us all of it. We'll put it, all, we'll put it up on my website. It's going to be, people can track it down. Yeah, yeah. So my podcast, my main podcast is realestateinvestingmastery.com. Realestateinvestingmastery.com. That's my main podcast. We just did another podcast, started it recently, called Remote Property Flipping. Those are really good podcasts. The, the first one is more interviews. We interview folks. And the second one is just teaching. We're just teaching this stuff. My main course, my main website where people want to go to get more information about me is joemccall.com, J-O-E-M-C-C-A-L-L.com. I, I love coaching. I love the coaching business. And so occasionally I do take on one-on-one -on -one clients. If you're interested on that, about that, there's a link on that joemccall.com page where you can get more information about um, and, uh, and apply for my, my own coaching program. Fantastic. Joe, you've provided some incredible information and just insight into the world of lease options. I'm sure a lot of people will be going back and soaking this all up again and maybe giving this episode another listen because you really did give some incredible advice. Everything from just understanding what a lease option is, uh, how you structure individual lease options to make sure that it's a win-win for both the uh, the seller, the buyer, and, and yourself because this is this is your business. Yeah. And, and then 
in in the same breath that you're developing a marketing business, not necessarily a real estate business, and you're creating passive income through the systems that you've created for your business, which is, you know, I'm sure we could have a whole podcast on just talking about your systems, <laughs> from from lead generation to how you look at your um, your your assistant manager or virtual assistant in the Philippines and, and vetting them and making sure you get the right uh, guys on your team. So you know, well done, mate. I I really really give you a big pat on the back and uh, and and you know, thanks for dropping by. I guess. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that very much. I love talking to uh, people with Australian accents. It's a, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Those you don't you probably know this, but Americans love hearing British and Australian accents. It's, I do. I do really know that. Cool. I do. A lot of people tell me to just to keep talking, but uh, I sometimes. <laughs> I know my girlfriend's sick of the sound of my voice at times. <laughs> <laughs> but mate, thanks for dropping by and and chatting with us. Uh, and enjoy the rest of your week. It sounds like it's uh, it's pretty cold over there in uh, in St. Louis. Keep uh, keep warm, and we'll catch up soon. Thank you. Thanks, mate, for dropping in and catch chatting with us. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll catch up soon. If you are an investor interested in learning more about how to successfully flip lease options, then shoot Joe an email or jump on his website. I'm sure he's only too happy to, to discuss how to get started. As we mentioned, all the links on today's show will go up on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com. Just remember to click on the podcast tab. As you know, guys, each week we will continue to bring you cracking investor information to help you grow your investing knowledge, your business, and because that's what we're all about on this show, continuing to grow your financial IQ so everyone can be successful. You know that you can continue the conversation with myself and find out what deals I'm currently working on by going to my website and signing up for my newsletters, or you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching RSM Property Group or Reed Goosens. Now, you all know that if you are feeling like you want to give back because you love this show, then jump on iTunes and subscribe. Whilst you're there, you might as well give the show a five-star review. It's you know it's quick, it's easy, and it helps us grow the show's reach across the globe and help investors start successfully investing in the US. We'll do it all again next week. So have a great rest of your week. Take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.